Are you a coffee lover? Do you sometimes wonder, is coffee bad for me? Is it good? One cup, two cups? Should I cut it out all the way? Well, I'm about to ask Dr. Jordan about coffee and what's up with coffee. And I think you're really going to like her answer. We're also going to talk about how you can advocate for yourself with your doctor so that you can get right the support and the care that you need and that you deserve. And if you suffer from acne, then we're also going to talk a little bit about acne. We're going to talk about sleep. We're going to talk about fasting and diet culture. And oh, we're going to talk about so many things. I cannot wait for Dr. Jordan to share the real talk with you. It's going to be so good. Welcome to the PMDD Healing Summit, where the world's top experts share hope, guidance, and next steps for your PMDD healing journey. And today I am super honored and excited to be here with Dr. Jordan Robertson. And let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Dr. Jordan. Dr. Jordan is a naturopathic doctor, podcaster, and women's health author. She has a special interest in women's health, including expertise on PMS, PMDD, fertility, and miscarriage, PCOS, and endometriosis, helping women and people with ovaries move from overwhelmed and misunderstood to confident and capable of managing their hormone health. Dr. Jordan has supported thousands of patients on their healing journeys, and that's why I am so happy that you said yes to the PMDD Healing Summit. Welcome, Dr. Jordan. Thank you so much for having me. So good to have you here. And let's just jump right in. Could you just share a little bit about your journey and why you're so passionate about supporting menstruators and their health? Yeah, it's a good, I mean, I think every practitioner who gets really invested um, in a particular condition probably has some kind of personal story or connection with it. And I certainly have followed, my interests have followed along with my own personal journey. So I started being connected to the women's health space um, after I suffered from three consecutive miscarriages in my own personal health history. And that was done at a time where you know, I was graduating as a medical professional. I've in theory had all the information like at my fingertips and yet was not like able to, you know, tackle this one part of my health. And it led me to dive into the research specifically looking at women's health and highlighted some of the gaps we have in assessment in flagging people that are at risk for particular conditions um, and getting that like early intervention. That was where, you know, my personal struggle was. And I spent lots of time looking at the women's health sphere as it pertained to, you know, younger um, women and people with endometriosis and PCOS and, and um, et cetera. But it wasn't until I started to struggle with my own mood and mental health as it pertains to my hormones, did I get really curious about what's happening in the brains of people with ovaries and women when hormone levels change throughout the month. Um, And that was really what sort of prompted me to do the deep dive on PMS, perimenopause, and PMDD, which all do have this 
you know, thread of uh, similarity where the body and the brain are now sensitive to the normal hormone fluctuations that we experience from month to month. That's really what led me to be so interested and develop that like sense of compassion for this patient population because I was doing it too and I was going through it too. And so I wanted to know more about it so I could better help myself. But it also then like opened up this whole door that this is a patient population that's not that well served. Um, you know, from diagnosis to support, we're really struggling um, with this patient population. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm just going to go on a tangent really quickly and come. That's some of the, one of the big things that people, you know, we don't get taken seriously by our doctors, by our healthcare providers. Could you, what can we do? Like, you know, if I'm, I'm thinking I might have PMDD and, but there's this wall, what can we do? What, what are some tips? Do you have anything that you could say to people? For sure. So number one is to track your symptoms. And so in their literature specifically, we've identified that it's tough for people to look back on their last month and actually tell us what happened accurately when it comes to their hormones. And you may have even experienced that yourself where you're like, yeah, like, you know what, last month wasn't so bad, right? Like you almost have this like you know, you forget, or we overestimate how difficult some of our symptoms were. And that doesn't mean that they didn't happen and they weren't real. It's just that it's hard to communicate things that happened in the past. Very different than if you journal it, or if you write it down or use an app where you can clearly say like, hi, doctor, I've tracked my symptoms for the last two months. And over here, I have none. And over here, I'm suicidal. That's a very different like piece of information that you're taking to them. And yeah. it's speaking their language truly um, to be able to say, I've, I've followed this along. The pattern's really clear. This is what I'm struggling with. The other piece of advice that I give people that are communicating with their doctor is that it's the more clarity you can bring to your level of experience and the level of dysfunction that's happening because of what your experience is, the more you'll be taken seriously. And again, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but when we say our day was hard, you're now expecting someone to interpret what hard means. When you say, I had to go home from work, mm -hmm. I couldn't take care of my child, mm -hmm. I had to X, Y, and Z, yeah. right? When we can line it up with actions or daily activities that you could or could not do, when you don't use metaphors to describe how you're feeling. So don't say there's an army of angry people in my brain invading, say, I'm feeling depressed and suicidal, mm -hmm. right? And so in the research, we know that like the more clarity that you can give, yeah. the more level of dysfunction and debility that you can explain to your practitioner, the yeah. easier it is for them to go like, oh, this is a big deal. This is real um, versus letting their interpretation of what your bad day or angry soldiers truly means. Yes. Ah, oh, wow. I'm, I'm already writing furiously. So thank you for those <laughs> tips. That, I mean, that light bulb moment, exactly. Track your symptoms and clarity on the dysfunction and how debilitating it is and don't use metaphors for it say it how it is beautiful so we can stand up for ourselves and advocate a little bit for ourselves and be more clear with our doctors thanks for that but, i mean i'm gonna dive right in here with something that you said that just caught my eye you said that trauma and stress trigger every single hormone related mood condition can you please elaborate on that because that's huge 
It is huge. And I wish we understood it better than we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I will say that like that we we are seeing a convergence of data in the research that there is, you know, patients are at an increased risk of hormone related mood disorders, whether that's PMS, postpartum depression, PMDD, perimenopause or menopause related depression. We see an increase in incidence in people who have suffered either from early childhood events you know, significant lifetime stressful events, which we have rating scales that tell us all the things that are super stressful. And lots of them are things that we experience, um, you know, you know, many years in our, in our adult lives, um, or for people who self-rate their stress as being perceived high. So we know there's a relationship between stress, trauma, perceived stress, um, in the brain and how we are influenced by those hormone fluctuations and changes. So kind of alluded to it earlier that like the hormones in patients are doing what they're supposed to do, right? They're, they're ovulating, they're rising and falling um, in a pattern that's actually like healthy and normal for the most part. The difference in patients who suffer from hormone related mood disorders is that their brain's capacity to deal with the, that normal variation has changed with me? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm writing it down. Our brain capacity has changed. Yes. And so the resiliency of the patient has changed and, and quite often that's from trauma, stress, uh, et cetera. And so the brain perceives ovulation. It perceives those hormone fluctuations as being an intolerable stressor versus a normally occurring event. Um, and so sometimes patients who struggle with um, PMDD or PMS may recall a time where that was not part of their life, right? And maybe when they were in their teens or 20s and I said like, hey, did you ovulate? You'd be like, what? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because at that time in your life, perhaps that, you know, if this was pre-diagnosis or, or pre the evolution of your condition, your brain was fine. Like your brain tolerated those hormone changes fine. But it's when patients have PMDD, that simple and natural hormone fluctuation actually becomes an intolerable event. Now, on top of that, we do think that there are some wider variations in hormone change in women who do have PMDD, meaning that while everyone's estrogen is going this way, yours might not be quite going that way. And, mm. and it might there might actually be some variation in hormone production in patients with PMDD, but that's like incredibly preliminary thoughts about it, mm -hmm. that we think estrogen levels are lower in that second half of the menstrual cycle, where we yeah. typically blamed progesterone um, for PMDD. We think estrogen levels are lower in women with PMDD than in patients who don't have PMDD. So it's curious there, like your, your hormones might not actually be doing what we need them to do, but it's that, that shift in hormones that really is putting a lot of distress in the brain. Wow. So our brain capacity and our resiliency is just lower because of the stress and because of the trauma. That is really good to know because I know there's always this thing, like there's this fight against this trauma, right? Like why, how does trauma have anything to do with my PMDD? But it makes total sense now. So thank you for saying that. And also on your fabulous Instagram, which I'm also gonna have a link to below the interview, you say that PMS or PMDD is a real problem that has a real solution. So if someone comes to you with PMDD, where do you start? 
Yeah, that's a really good question because I do think we've often treated so many medical conditions as there is some sort of magical silver bullet that we just need to pick the right thing and that someone's, you know, symptoms or experience will magically go away, right? Like if you have an ear infection, you take an antibiotic and then we go, okay, I have PMDD. Like, what do I get? Right. What do you, what do you got for me? And unfortunately with, um, a syndrome that has the complexity that PMDD has, we can't expect that same kind of solution that we often would expect from an ear infection. And I think that that's, you know, and that's challenging because we still deliver medicine in that antibiotic ear infection kind of way. And so patients with PMDD can often feel like, you know, they, they try this medication and well, if that doesn't work, we try this medication well, and that didn't work. So we try this medication. Um, and so they can feel quite hopeless because they're, we're applying one thing at a time, kind of hoping that it's going to be a magical firework in your brain and that you are no longer going to experience your symptoms. But if we can look at P PMDD as being a more complex nervous system, dysregulated state, then we start to see how complex the solution also needs to be. So there's lots of things that will influence um, how our body feels at the time of ovulation from our nutrition to our sleep, to our you know, ability to be resilient to our automatic thought patterns and you know, our, um, our nutrient status for specific nutrients. And so the solution actually ends up being as unique as the individual which in research, we hate that. Like in research, we just want to give everyone the same thing and see a statistically significant benefit. And then we are like, okay, this is what we do. We're going to give it to everybody. Um, but with PMDD, and unfortunately where we're living with it right now is we need to work with you. We need to find out the solutions that are going to work for you. Mm -hmm. um, we need to look at your individual nutrition status and exercise patterns and yeah whether you need cognitive behavioral therapy, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, but I want people with PMD to, to know that all of those areas of their health do matter, right? And if they all chipped in a 5% improvement, we'd be doing well, right? But I think yeah. it's that we ignore the influence of some of those other pieces that they have on how people feel. Yeah. Um, and the other challenges is that they often take some time to see that, um, we need some consistency in change to see the consistency in results. And often when we meet patients with PMDD, like they are sidelined half of the month, right? And our, our treatment solutions need to be quite compassionate and layered on in a way that is manageable for patients that have, um, a, you know, a large amount of suffering for half of the month. And your solutions in month one might not be your ultimate choice, whether that's medication or what have you. But it needs to be part of like an ongoing plan to build your plan to the point where you can be resilient, that nutrition and exercise and whatnot does support you. Yeah. Does Thank that make you sense? For saying that. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> Thank you for saying that we're unique and that it's unique and that it's different for everybody. Cause I see it so much in the communities, you know, somebody shares something that worked for them. And then it's like, oh, I'm going to try that. And what if that didn't work for me? And then we like, we're like, oh, I'm just stuck with this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people can feel like a failure, right? Like that. And there's a lot of shame, I think in, you know, there's, there's something really powerful about those online groups. And I've had patients develop the courage to advocate for a hysterectomy through, uh, through groups, right? Like, which is just like, uh, it's so empowering because it's such an isolating condition, but also, I mean, I always say nobody gets on TripAdvisor to write about the mediocre chicken, right? Like you either see 
like glowing recommendations for something that may not fit for you and may not be the right choice for you. Or you may hear someone's horror story of a solution that actually might be your best next step. Um, And so I always like think, you know, community is wonderful. Just be mindful of like how you feel when you're consuming like that medical information to make sure that, you know, you're not ignoring something that might be valuable for you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. To evaluate that. And that's why I kind of love having you here and, you know, other people here, like this resin, you know, like, so they can find something that resonates with them and start trying that out. And you were just talking about sleep and how important is um, sleep is. And I know a lot in our community struggle with, you know, insomnia, they have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep. What could the, the cause be for that? And what do you recommend for sleep troubles? Yeah, sleep is a complex one. Like it's almost like this asking the question of like, well, what do you got for PMDD, right? Like it's, <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, it kind of depends. Um, but I will say that like one of the mistakes we make when treating sleep is thinking about it in those last like three minutes before we climb into bed, right? And so patients will think about their sleep when they like pull up the covers and they're like, okay, I'm ready. without thinking about the influence that their entire day's pattern of nutrition and stress and blood sugar regulation and caffeine ingestion and all of the things have on um, moving us farther away from sleep rather than towards sleep. So the moment we wake up in the morning, our brain is really driving towards the following sleep, right? Like that's like biologically that's, and then every woman's like, yeah, no, I knew that. No, but I mean, like hormonally, like that's, we move towards the next night of sleep. And there's a lot of things that happen in our daily life that actually block that sleep build or that sleep pressure that grows through the day. So caffeine's the best example, right? If your last cup of coffee is at two in the afternoon, it is still in your body at 10 PM. Um, And so the, the best thing to do for sleep is to like actually back up and look at your whole day and whether or not it's contributing in a positive way to your, to your overall sleep hygiene. Um, that's really the best place to start is that nobody's sleep is dramatically cured by a sedative, whether it's pharmaceutical or natural, it doesn't matter. That's actually not the right way to think about sleep at all. But look at it through the whole day. Like, what am I doing during the day to maybe possibly interrupt my sleep and to genius? Absolutely. Awesome. All right, I got sleep off the list. And also what, what came to me and what I saw, you talk about macronutrients. And I think I've heard about it, but I do not know what those are. And could you share and why they're important for us? Yeah, so the basic macronutrients are proteins, fats, and carbs. And it's really just a way to categorize the kinds of calories that we eat in a day or the kinds of where we get our fuel sources from. So macronutrients are different than micronutrients, meaning things like, calcium or vitamin A or vitamin D, which are the, you know, the micro micronutrients that are in the food that we eat. Macronutrients could comprise of like just various um, sources of energy. So whether it's fats and that might be fats from salmon or fats from olive oil versus protein, which might be from chickpeas or might be from chicken. Right. And so the reason I talk so much about macronutrients with respect to hormonal conditions is that women are really marketed to around, um, you know, very extremist type nutrition plans. And that's usually, um, it's usually under the guise of that, this is going to be the, the silver bullet approach to support your woes. And so you'll often see headlines like, you know, never eat this if you want to banish belly fat or 
all of your hormone woes are caused by this. Um, when the reality is, is that the evidence, there's not really the evidence to support any extremist diet and women specifically, especially women with PMDD are, like I already said, you're like, your nervous system is struggling. And one of the most uh, stressful things we can do to our nervous system is deprive it of basic calories or basic macronutrients. And certainly I would maybe say some micronutrients. We also seem to struggle more with our mood regulation uh, with respect to hormones. If there's certain micronutrients that are also deficient, calcium, vitamin D being maybe the biggest ones. Yeah. And so the reason I talk about it so much is because the actual evidence for PMS and nutrition um, suggests that people need a balanced diet with an intentional use of carbohydrates, meaning that the more carbohydrates patients had in their luteal phase, the less mood-related symptoms they had. Now, this was a PMS population, so not PMDD, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that information to say that going on a low-carb diet or a ketogenic diet is probably not the direction we want to move in if we're suffering with PMDD and the, the low calorie, low carb, like your, your brain and your hormones like peace. Mm. Yeah. Right. And it's to under fuel and under eat on a particular micronutrient, macronutrient, or just calories in general, that is not peaceful. And so if we think, even if we just think about like animals in the wild, right? And I always tell my patients this, I'm like, the only reason a mama cheetah would not sleep through the night is if she's being hunted or she's starving to death, right? And your nervous system is not that different. If you're being hunted by your job, right? Or you're not fueling your body. Yeah. Those are two really good reasons why your nervous system would be on high alert. And so I'm mindful of the fact that most marketing around nutrition for women is about extreme solutions when that is not how our body works best actually Ooh, thank you for bringing that up and i'm just gonna something that popped into my mind while you were saying this extreme solutions what are your thoughts on this new fad of intermittent fasting do you have any thoughts on that i'm not sure i just it just popped into my head because i know that's something we everybody's talking about fasting for a really long time you know what, I just did a podcast episode on it that airs tomorrow because um, it's also it's obviously very topical right now. Um, and so it, 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 the same concept applies, right? Mm -hmm. So your brain is, is checking in your pituitary, which women with PMDD know more about their hormones than the average person, your pituitary making your LH and FSH is checking in with your metabolism and checking in with your fueling every two hours. Yeah right? Like your GnRH, which is the top level hormone is trying to figure out if your hormones should be produced every couple of hours. And so when women fast for 16 hours, what are you telling it? There's no food here. This is not a good time to ovulate, right? And so the, for lots of women, fasting is creating an artificial break in fueling that is not supporting optimal hormone function. And the vast majority of studies done on intermittent fasting are done in overweight diabetic male patients. Uh -huh. And so you can't tell me that we should just like broadly apply that to women. Awesome. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing the truth. Yes, exactly. Oh, oh. so talking about, you know, like we're being told to leave all these things out. You're a coffee lover. And I love this post that you did. And um you know, um, what's the deal with coffee? Is coffee good for our hormones, bad for our hormones? What's up with coffee? 
you know what? I've researched it to death just to make sure that I wasn't like, you know, digging my own grave basically yeah. because I am a big coffee lover. Um, and the re like generally coffee is pretty net positive when it comes to all health conditions, right? Mm -hmm. If we through all the research in a big pot, we can have a, a nice party that coffee is a-okay. However, caffeine is a drug that worsens anxiety and sleep. And so if those are areas of your health that you are currently trying to work on, and I slid a pill across the table and said, here, take this pill. It's totally going to worsen your anxiety, right? You, you might think for a second about whether or not that's the right choice. Um, and caffeine is doing that for lots of people. And so I would say like, you need to have that like check-in as to whether or not um, it's the right thing for you or it's the right time of day whether you can tolerate it on an empty stomach or whether it needs to be with food. Um, that's how I would think about coffee is that like no negatives aside from the fact, like if you're, <laughs> if your heart's like exploding through your chest with anxiety, then you maybe need to come back. Yes. Good one. Okay. I know My so many people are like, <laughs> they're applauding you right now, Dr. Jordan. <laughs> you did have like a, like a caveat. You did say, but if you need six cups of coffee just to get through the day, that that might be a sign of an underlying condition or something else that's going on. What could that be a sign of? Well, if you're masking your fatigue, like your significant fatigue with a stimulant, yeah. right? It's certainly, we need to like beg the question whether or not there's something else going on. And that could be a lot of things, right? What you need to look at your fueling, you need to look at some of your um, micronutrient intake, you know, iron deficiency worldwide is our most common cause of anemia and, and a significant contributor to fatigue. Um, and, you know, there's lots of like possible thoughts around what you really should be looking at. Yeah. Certainly trauma and stress causes a lot of fatigue in patients too. And so it's more that it just begs that question that if you're using caffeine to get through the day, then there's probably some like a more um, holistic way of looking at that um, solution. It'd be the same, right? If I said like, you need these six pills to get through the day. So many people would be like, oh, that's not my value. No, I'm not going to take that medication, right? I'm like, but that's kind of what you're doing with your coffee. <laughs> so if you're using a drug to get through the day, let's take a step back and make sure that there isn't some a simple solution or something that we've just missed flat out because you're vertical, you made it to work. And so we're calling you a-okay. Yeah. But if you're using a stimulant to get through the day, um, you know, I, I just feel like it needs a deeper look. Beautiful. Thanks for, thanks for thinking of that. And yeah, just to also for anything that we're using to get through the day or to make it through this or that to always kind of see, is there something underneath that instead of putting that bandaid on there? So thanks for bringing that up. And just one more thing that I'd like to talk about, because we don't really talk about that a lot here in the summit is our acne that might come up because I know in the groups, people talk about that. So I would love to have you speak about that. Can you speak a little bit about adult acne and what might a symptom be and what can we do? Yeah, I love, I love that you put that in the questions because when I first saw it in the, the questions that you emailed me, I was like, if that's related to caffeine, right? Like that was my first thought. I'm like, whoa, that one's out of left field. Except that when I sat back to look at it and, and think about it a little bit deep, more deeply, actually do draw a lot of comparisons between 
you know, patients with PMDD and us the way we need to think about acne. Um, so first of all, like acne is a significant contributor to poor mental health status in, in adults and, and patients. And so sometimes I would say patients do want to gravitate towards what they consider to be the most natural solution for their acne. But by contrast, that might not actually be the best way to support their mental health with respect to their acne. And so a question I always want to ask patients is like, does this need to be natural or does this need to work? Um, because we sometimes forget the influence that acne has on our, and I'm an adult acne sufferer. So I can, I can speak to this, like through the depths of my soul, but sometimes the solution to parts of the way you struggle with your mental health needs to come through in an efficacious treatment for your acne, not necessarily one that came from the rainforest, right? Like, and so I always want to make sure that we're drawing that line and, and understanding that with patients, because it's a, it's a seriously overlooked conversation in the in the natural health space that acne causes mental health challenges in patients like yeah. straight up yeah right yeah so there's that absolutely. <laughs> um then there's thoughts around some of the anti-androgen pharmaceutical medications for pmdd yeah. right and so we are seeing some drug trials for things like dutasteride and some of the medications that block androgen production in patients with PMDD. And I think we can probably see that we're eventually going to draw a line between the androgen suppressing drugs and androgen symptoms and side effects in patients with PMDD and say, hey, like that acne actually is related to your PMDD. So I'm not saying that for certain, and I'm sure you have some experts that are going to speak more eloquently on drug development for patients with PMDD. I just like trends, right? I like, I like being able to tell a story with why and how we're supporting someone. And we see that story being written right now that we're looking at drugs that suppress androgens. And if you're all struggling with acne, I think we have something to think about there. Right? Yes. Um, but the yeah. big thing I want patients to know about acne and, and there's lots of solutions, right? Like there's lots of evidence for zinc. There's, you know, evidence for green tea, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's great. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that I want patients to take home about the conversation about acne is that it is also a chronic condition. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, we're often marketed to, it's like, if you just perfected your skincare routine, you know, that should go away. Yeah. yeah. That's not true. Right? It's just another way that we shame women into feeling like they can't, they're not perfect enough yeah. um, and that they just haven't figured out how to take care of their own body. It's just, it's just not true. Acne is a chronic medical condition that is genetic. So A, it's not your fault. And B, we need a long-term management strategy for it. We're never going to find a magical skincare routine or a magical supplement that's going to solve it. It needs to be an integrated, mm. like, complex solution for you that yes. sometimes might include, you know, benzoyl peroxide and sometimes might include changing your pillowcase twice a week. Both I'll say are evidence-based ways of supporting acne, but really it's like, it has to be like thought of more deeply than that. And like, how does your skin influence the way you feel about yourself? Mm -hmm. Is it a reflection of other things going on with your health that we need to think about? Yeah. Right. And how does this fit into like your whole system of taking care of yourself? Um, because a spot treatment like does not do anything. I wish it did. Yeah. Would have yeah. saved me a hell of a lot of grief. I'll tell you that. <laughs> and a lot of money. <laughs> exactly. Ah, uh, thank you for bringing that up. You know, that it's not just about like the spot treatment, but that it's actually a chronic condition. Thank you. And that, 
Yeah, there's so much shaming around that. And as you said, like, oh, if you would just, you know, like have a great health skincare routine with step one, two, three, then you wouldn't be suffering from this. So thank you for bringing that up. And I know it was a little bit out of left field, but I wanted to ask. No, I love it. You know what? It, It was good for me because I started to be like, Oh, wait, no, I do have something to say about this, actually. <laughs> Although I have something to say about most things, as it turns out. <laughs> I'm glad you do. <laughs> so we are at time, but it's been just full of amazingness. So can, can you just share, how can people work with you or what? how can they get in contact with you? What should people do to reap more of the benefits of being you know, in, in contact with Dr. Jordan? Yeah, so there's lots of ways to connect. And and really my goal in connecting with um, women and people with ovaries is to help them get the information that they need in their hands to be more empowered in their healthcare journey, whether that's with me as their guide or with whoever they work with on their healthcare team. I want you to have like evidence-based scientific information at your disposal um, so that you can make better informed health decisions. And you can do that through a couple of ways. So, you know, my clinical practice is in Ontario, Canada. Um, That's where my license is bound by. If you live in Ontario, I'm happy to support you. Or one of the members of my clinical team is happy to support you in person or virtually. We, We live in the GTA. Now that that excludes many, many people who are living worldwide or outside of Ontario. And in that case, the best way to connect is to follow along on social media, which would be at Dr. Jordan ND on Instagram, subscribe to the podcast, Women's Health Unplugged, where we put out episodes weekly um, and stay connected so that you know when opportunities show up where we can support you. So we've got some online programming. I have an online program called Bulletproof Your 40s, which is all about perimenopause and we touch on mood quite a bit. That's the way to connect if you live outside of my area of jurisdiction where you can get that educational content, take it and then work one-on-one with your healthcare provider to get what you need. Mm, Beautiful. I'm going to put the links under the video because yes, your Instagram is just a treasure trove full of information where you can just go then deeper into it if, if we need to. Thank you so much for that. Do you have any last words of hope or encouragement or anything you'd like to say to our PMDD peeps out there? Yeah, it's just don't give up. I think that's what I want you to know is just not to give up that there is someone who believes you there is someone who's walked in your shoes, there is someone who will give you the most compassionate um, solution out there. And we know that we know that we have to keep trying in this group in the evidence that's actually what the research says it says keep trying and so that's what i want people to come away with so often we feel like once we try the thing or the number one thing if it doesn't work then that's it you're left like you know up the creek and that's actually not true for pmdd we just have to find the solution that works best for you um and so that's what i want you to take away is just to keep trying Hmm. y'all keep trying don't give up thank you so much dr jordan for sharing your wisdom your knowledge and your energy with us thank you for having me absolutely and y'all watch this one again take notes follow dr jordan get in contact do all the things and keep trying and don't give up bye (laughs) y'all Hi, it's Charisma. 
If this expert interview inspired you or helped you in any way, please consider leaving a five-star review with your insights so other PMDD warriors like you can find these interviews and benefit from them too. You're awesome and thank you so much for being a part of this community. And remember, relief is possible. Okay, bye.